You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to a Monday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Gavin Shaw, and after four years covering the Phoenix Suns and two as a Pac-12 network broadcaster, I moved back to New York City to cover your Brooklyn Nets. You can check me out on Twitter at Gavin Shaw and follow the podcast at Locked on Nets. Highly encourage you to do that so you can keep up with all the great things we are doing here at Locked on Nets. Uh, this is a surprise edition of the podcast. I did not expect to uh, do one tonight. But then I got a fateful email from Ben Standig, our host of the Locked on Wizards podcast. He wanted to do a crossover. And who am I to say no uh, to talking hoops with another guy who really loves the game, really knows the game, and really knows in particular the Nets' next opponent, the Washington Wizards. So without further ado, here's Ben and I talking about the Nets' future and previewing tomorrow's game. Gavin, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy day to to chat. And uh, look, there's reasons to talk about the Nets and the Wizards, partly because of the fact that it's the next game. So there's that. But th- these two teams made a trade last year. And I know from the Wizards end, there's still a lot of conversation about that trade. Did the Wizards do the right thing? What the hell did they get out of it? But I don't think about it too much from the Nets perspective. So that's kind of not where I want to start. But I guess first and foremost, how are things going in the uh, Brooklyn side of the thing. Um, yeah. And in a general sense, I'd say uh, about as well as could possibly be expected, uh, given the fact that they're clearly their two best players going into the season are uh, in the case of Jeremy Lin out for the year. And then in the case of D'Angelo Russell out indefinitely. So basically this season has been at least on the injury front, just about the worst case scenario for a Brooklyn Nets team that still somehow after all these years does not have their first round pick this season. Um, But given that context, I I think they played about as well as could be expected and probably quite a bit better than that. If I'm being honest, Um, Spencer Dinwiddie has been something of a revelation for this team, a guy who was uh, all but out of the league last season. And now he's, I I don't want to, put him in the upper echelon of point guards just because that position is so deep, but he's second in the entire league in assist to turnover ratio, shooting uh, the ball extremely well, better than I, I thought he could, even though he showed off a pretty strong three-point stroke last season. And then all the other pieces are kind of fitting into place. Guys like Joe Harris have kind of come out of left field and turned into solid NBA rotation players. And this Nets team is somehow only three games out of the playoffs with Everything I mentioned, I, I don't think this is a team, even with full health, um, was expected to be at this level. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty darn impressed with the job they've done. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm content with this net season so far. Spencer Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie is a member of the uh, last man standing all-star team in the Lockdown Wizards Fantasy League. So very excited for his progression, <laughs> for sure, uh, that for these last uh, these last few weeks. Um so let's go back to that uh, to that trade for a second. Obviously, just for those who don't remember, but if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess you do. The Wizards traded the contract of Andrew Nicholson and a 2017 first round pick to Brooklyn for Boyan Bogdanovich. Obviously, Bogdanovich was with the Wizards for the last you know 20 odd games of the regular season and the playoffs. 
gave them a, a boost right off the bat from three-point shooting and helped the, the bench scoring in general. But ultimately, you know, we know what happened. He, he Wizards didn't get any further than they have typically in the playoffs. He left in the offseason and signed with the Pacers. Uh, meanwhile, Brooklyn told, took that Andrew Nicholson contract, traded it, and a bunch of and other things went to Portland, right, in the in the Allen Crab deal? Yeah. And then you guys took in the first round, Jared Allen. So from your guys' perspective, I mean, just going back to when it happened, I'm sure you weren't, like, I mean, you knew Bogdanovich was going to be a free agent. I presume you didn't necessarily think you were going to keep him. So what did you think of that trade at that time? What was the take on it from the Brooklyn end? Um, yeah, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but uh, I thought in the moment it was a pretty strong move for both teams. I mean, I mean, you got to keep in mind with the Wizards, uh, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but at least um, to my memory, they made a lot of these kind of uh, win-now moves over the year. Obviously, um, drafting Otto Porter was kind of an exception to that, but it seems like their focus has kind of been on building a uh, a team that can compete in the East around John Wall and Brad Beal while the duo are still young and kind of before they get jaded. And, and this team has uh, – it, it's been a long, long time since they made the Eastern Conference Finals. So I thought it kind of made sense for Washington to make that push and just because they have been all in to kind of stick with that mentality. But um, well, I, just, I, I don't know. From a, from a Nets perspective, it, it, it was interesting. I, I think it was something that they had to do, even though Bojan was objectively one of their better players at the time. The team wasn't going anywhere. They didn't have their own first-round pick. And in typical Sean Marks fashion, he's kind of been able to um, maneuver first-round picks out of thin air, which is particularly incredible in this kind of modern NBA climate where first-round picks outside of superstars are just about the most valuable currency a team can possess and somehow some way Sean Marks seems to be able to keep dealing for them so and th- this was kind of the first of a few of those trades and I, I even in retrospect and even and even currently uh, really really like that trade for the Nets yeah to, to answer your question yeah in the last four years the Wizards have own, 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 of the potential eight picks you could have and out of you know two rounds in each draft only one Kelly Oubre has actually even played with the Wizards. They've traded away three of the other first-round picks, and most of their second-round picks, they kept one, but the guy, but Aaron White's been overseas the whole time. So, yeah, the trading for a pick for Boyan was sort of business as usual, and from the Wizards' end, it was sort of like, well, they, their bench was a disaster last year. I don't think that's breaking news. They needed some kind of scoring, and since they were clearly a good enough team to compete, it was sort of like, well, we might have a chance to actually make the Eastern Conference Finals, but we need to do something else. So we've already gone this far. <laughs> Let's go a little bit more. And, uh, you know, they made the move. I I, I can't say I, I objected to it too much um, just because like they need to do something. But ultimately it is – you have to remember how they got in this position. They had some a lot of misses during free agency last year, including Andrew Nicholson, Jan Mahimi. Uh, as well, and uh, th- because they whiffed on some of those guys so badly, they were forced to sort of kind of do uh, this deal. Uh, you, you, Jared Allen, I mean, he's a guy, he's, you know, uh, another young big man project type. Uh, I guess now maybe he's going to be even a little bit further in the depth chart behind Okafor, but ultimately he's a guy that all Wizards fans are going to be paying attention to, just the way we did when they traded March and Gortat, and the Phoenix Suns ended up taking Tyler Ennis. I'm blanking on the guy, the, the name of the guy that they took from our, they got uh, 
the Marquis Morris, and then they ended up with uh, Marquis Chris. But that was that was after trading with the uh, with the Kings too. So I, I was actually covering Phoenix at the time, so I was going right. to talk about it from from that perspective. But yeah, yeah, that was that was another uh, pretty interesting one. And I guess um, kind kind of uh, again transitive property because they they had to do a whole big deal with the Kings too to get Chris. But maybe maybe that is another guy for Wizards fans to look out for, or even someone like Scalabissier who the Sun snagged uh, later in that draft. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up. It's a guy. It's one of the international guys. That's why I'm blanking on his name. I don't want to butcher it. But um, what's the deal with Jared Allen? Do you think Wizards fans are gonna? Is he gonna be a guy that people are gonna be going? Oh, I can't believe the Wizards could have had that guy. I mean, I know it's super early, and he's another. He was a freshman, I think, coming out. So it's sure it's early to tell. But so far, have you seen signs of life to be like, oh yeah, this guy looks pretty interesting, or? Still yeah, I, I don't think Wizards fans are going to be happy to hear this, but he's been, I think, a lot further along than most Nets pundits and fans expected. I don't really know what the internal expectations for him, other than the fact that he was expected to be part of the rotation coming into the season. But this is a guy who was raw even on the college level. And then um, early this season, like the first, I mean, obviously we're still within the first 25 games, so it's early period, but first 10 games to maybe even 15, he, he looked just like super duper raw. Like there were really good signs on defense and like good instincts. And he had a couple monster blocks, but couldn't really hold on to the ball on offense and was like missing on lobs and had like three or four missed dunks in the first 10, 11 games of the year. And you, you wanted to blame it on nerves, but you, you start to get like a little bit of a creeping feeling when, when a big doesn't kind of immediately show off that uh, coordination that is really the mark of someone who's going to be an effective NBA player. But it really has flipped, especially over the last uh, five or six games. He's, he's coming off um, his last game in the United States before the Nets Mexico City trip was pretty easily the best game of his career. I think he had about 11 points, but just, just went on a run where he had like five dunks and five possessions and Karis Levert just kept throwing him lob after lob after lob. And, and you get visions of just how good this guy can be down the road defensively. Um, I, I don't necessarily have the advanced stats on him, but uh, the, uh, as far as the eye test goes, he looks like he's already the Nets' most effective defensive big. And that's not out of a super competitive group, so maybe it's not saying much. But he looks really, really good on that end, switching on pick and roll, staying with guards for short periods of time, showing off really good instincts, uh, knocking the ball away from guys, grabbing steals. We mentioned the rim protection. He's not afraid of anyone. He's gone after a bunch of guys at the rim, has gotten dunked on a few times, but has also sent a few guys back, especially Kevin Love a few weeks ago when he was kind of getting babied and Love was kind of pushing him under the basket. And then at the last second, Allen just turns around and swats it. So there have been some really, really encouraging signs on both ends on the floor. I was saying it before this draft. I was saying it after this draft. I'm definitely saying it with how these guys have been performing. I, I think this 2017 group is one of the three or four best drafts in the last 20 years. And I know that's an opinion shared by a lot of guys around the league. And I think uh, the Nets getting Jared Allen at 22 is, is pretty uh, representative of that fact. So I, I'd be a little bit concerned if I'm a Wizards fan, and I, I traded out of that pick uh, for a guy that only lasted a year. And I know, as you said, the rationale made sense at the time. I agree with it. I just don't know if it's going to turn out well for them. Well, that'll go over well. I'm sure when, when the, the listeners... Yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to bum you that. <laughs> no, no. Hey, I'm sure when the listeners hear this, they will take it in stride and feel good about the, <laughs> feel good about the situation. Uh, and, of course, one of the things with the Wizards is, you know, they don't have... Uh, other than Markeith Morris, like pretty much all their bigs are on the you know, wrong side of 30. So having a young guy would be kind of cool, but you never know. I mean, you, you never know if they would have taken him anyway, but regardless, that's always a guy you're going to track. And uh, so far, uh, yeah, based on what you're saying, it sounds like it could be one that they will uh, 
they will regret, but what are you going to do? Um, Ben Standig here talking with uh, Gavin Shaw from the Locked On Nets podcast. So we got this game coming up. Uh, the Wizards have been incredibly up and down the last, well, pretty much the whole season. Uh, but this road, tr- this stretch without John Wall of eight games where they've gone four and four, it's been pretty much similar to the season. They, they, they look pretty good against some of the better teams, but against teams that you think, okay, well, this should be a win. They have struggled against. So, you, you know, the Nets would qualify as a team that the Wizards may look past, but they are coming off a loss to the Clippers in which they had the Clippers beat and then, uh, basically pissed it away in the last minute of the game and lost with a kind of crazy finish. Uh, you mentioned the Nets have had a bunch of injuries. So, yeah, obviously, they have NBA talent and all, but, I mean, do you think are, are the Nets playing at a level right now where they can catch the Wizards napping, or do you think the Wizards, if they show up, should be able to get this one? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn on that because the Nets have pretty consistently shown off the ability to compete with just about anyone in the NBA, which again is is stunning considering the injuries and like, just like the various things they've had to deal with this season. Obvious, the obvious talent depletion of not having those draft picks over the last few years, but they beat the Cavs earlier in the season at home. And then they had back-to-back games um, about two weeks ago uh, against the Cavs and Warriors where both were very close going into the final two, three minutes and winnable for the Nets. And they they just haven't really gotten blown out a ton this year. The Rockets were the one team that came in and, and just kind of uh, destroyed them. But, but they've been competitive game in and game out, particularly on their home floor. So I, I'd expect a pretty good game if I'm the Wizards. If, if John Wall plays, they're, they're clearly the favorite. And I, I'd be kind of disappointed if I'm a Washington fan and you don't wrap that one up. But it should be close going into the final couple of minutes. Uh, that being said, one mitigating factor, and obviously they've had uh, three days off now, so maybe they'll be okay. Uh, playing in Mexico City, it was extremely taxing on this team. You know just how high the elevation is there. It, it makes Denver look uh, kind of like New York almost relatively. Um, so they could be exhausted potentially from that. So just due to that factor, I'm not 100% sure you're going to be seeing the best version of this Nets team, but I, I, I tend to expect a pretty competitive game. I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you get to cover the Nets. I know that doesn't, that's not something that most people have probably ever said to you. Um, no. <laughs> but but the reason I say that is, look, obviously it's been something of a mess the last few years. And, you know, even more so, I mean, as much as people were, you know, bagging on the Sixers for the process and, you know, how slow and gross that process was at times, Philly had their picks and they were able to, you know, get the guys that are starting to do their thing. Whereas for Brooklyn, because all the picks were traded, it's like, oh man, how are they possibly going to work work around this? But that's what's like for just from that point, like once you sort of once they realize they hit bottom and they gotta work around this, I, I just think it's a, such a creative place to be. And I love the fact that like I'm not, you know, I, I'm not the biggest D'Angelo Russell fan, and you know, I get the concerns about Okafor, but the fact that with you know, you guys are able to get the second and third pick from the 2015 draft now without really having to give up a ton to get it. It's sort of crazy to, to think of it that way. And, you know, the, I think they've made some smart moves. You know, they're keeping enough cap space to be able to acquire some of these players. Um, you know, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a slow process. And we all know the NBA only works if you get ultimately, uh, you know, one or two really stud players. And we'll, we don't know if Brooklyn has any right now. But I just like the fact that it's just fun to play in that, in that space on some level. How are you possibly going to get out of this hole 
and it looks like they're taking some positive steps to do that. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, that's obviously, I think you have a really good read on the situation, Ben. And it's something that uh, Josh, my uh, usual co-host, and I have covered a lot this year and have gone kind of back and forth on, like, where is this team? And, like, is it a good thing that they're competitive? Because for my money, like, the worst thing about this run is it kind of, I mean, I mean, since that Celtics trade, it kind of robbed them of an opportunity to tank for a couple of seasons because they have been so bad for the majority of the last three years. They can't really justify to their fan base um, being that bad again once they get their picks back. And that potentially robs them of the ability to get top-level talent. And now Sean Marks has been um, – I, I know – I, I, there are there are areas where you could critique him a little bit, but for my money, he's been nothing short of brilliant on the whole and maneuvering around that and finding ways to acquire top guys, as you said, without having those picks and without necessarily having great assets to trade. But you look at D'Angelo Russell, you look at Jaleel Okafor, uh, neither of those guys are I mean, for my, maybe, maybe they'll turn it around at some point, but for my money, neither of those guys are ever going to be defensive stalwarts. Obviously, Okafor might only be a rental. And, and you look at the Nets long-term, and you just kind of wonder where they are in terms of acquiring that potential superstar or if that guy's on the roster and someone like uh, Karis LeVert or Jared Allen, even more of a long shot down the road, could make that jump. And, and you, you kind of see a team that's, that's shaping up just because of how good Marks and Atkinson have been because they really – should objectively be terrible right now, but because of those two is shaping up to be a pretty good team in the East over the next five or six years. But if you're the Nets, do you want to top out as that? Is that acceptable being a good fun team? And I, I think a lot of Nets fans and a lot of Nets pundits would say yes, given how disastrous this team in, in Brooklyn and for so long in New Jersey had been for years and years and years, having a fun competitive team is, is something to look out for. But then if you're of the mentality championship or bust, I don't know if they're laying the foundation for that, and it's not the fault of Marks. It's not the fault of Atkinson. It's it's you have to point the finger to Billy King because that's the reason that they're not just stocked with young, talented guys, even though there are good players on the roster. So it's really, really complicated, and it all kind of depends on how you look at, at team building. Excuse me for ranting about it, Ben, but this is a subject that really fascinates me. And I, I think you're right. The Nets are a really interesting case study in how to build an NBA team just because their situation was so uniquely terrible. Yeah, no, no problem. I, 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 like I said, that's what, that's the thing. Like I love sort of the, the this kind of, of thinking, and, and in terms of how to view them, you know, I've, I've ranted about this before, but if you're somebody who thinks it's champion, championship or bust, be prepared to have a miserable life. Because the reality is, there's only, like, in the NBA in particular, there's not many teams that even get close. It's pretty much, I mean, just in the last decade alone, it's pretty much just been LeBron, whichever team he's on, on one side, against, you know, what, Golden State and, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, San Antonio. San That's Antonio, it, really. right, pretty much, right? I mean, so it's, yeah. you know, everybody else is doing what they can do, but, you know, the, the, you know, so you, you either have to, you know, hope you have fun doing it. You hope you put yourself in the, in the best position possible. That's why I tell Wizards fans all the time. Everybody's, like, desperate for the Wizards to get the third superstar, whatever they think that is, uh, and they don't think the Wizards have enough. I'm like, look, the, and look, they have not lived up to the hype so far. They've, they've been a little disappointing. I mean, they have a winning record, so it's not like terrible. But, you know, they haven't been quite consistent enough. But I'm like, the goal realistically needs should be put your team in position every year to potentially win, contend, 
if breaks go your way. You know, i.e. in the case of the Wizards specifically, <laughs> LeBron gets hurt, or I was going to say maybe Boston's player, best player gets hurt. Of course, that did happen. <laughs> and, uh, and or, or, you know, argue with their best player, and then it still doesn't matter. They're still kicking butt because Brad Stevens is, is a uh, Jedi. He may be the last Jedi. Yeah. He may, that movie coming out is about him, the last Jedi, I assume. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so that's why it's fun. Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Russell or Okafor fan, but, I, I, you know, the fact that they've been able to maneuver themselves into position to take flyers on those guys that they wouldn't have had otherwise I think is pretty interesting. Um, by the way, while we were talking, I just realized there is another connection between these two teams that we need to discuss. Oh, throw it at me. You guys tried to poach Otto Porter. Oh, yeah, we did. We did. We did do that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will take full blame for that. <laughs> You guys tried to get out of Porter. Did you? I mean, I, I for not for one second did I ever think that the Wizards were going to let him go, uh, for the basic reason that one he's been good, and two they didn't based on their cap situation. If they let him go, they literally couldn't have spent money to go do anything else. So it was keep Otto Porter or basically take a step backwards. Obviously they kept him, and you know I think for the most part it's worked out pretty well. He's been yeah, he's been great. Statistically he's like their best player. I don't think that's necessarily the reality, but the numbers love him and he's done well for the most part. But for what when when that went down, were you th- were, was the take in Brooklyn? Oh, maybe we're getting this guy, or is it always oh come on, this is like we're just doing this to sort of do it to try, but it's not actually going to happen. Yeah, no, I think I, at least I, I I can't speak for the fan base. Maybe some people are more optimistic than me. I mean, I, me, Josh and I, I, I don't think ever really saw a scenario where the Wizards were letting him go. Though I think we did. We we might have done an episode this summer uh, talking about how he'd fit with the Nets. So maybe, maybe I'm I'm uh, being a little bit of of uh, revisionist history. But yeah, he he would have been a great fit on the Nets. Obviously, as like a very analytically uh, driven game, which is exactly how Kenny Atkinson and Shaw Marks have kind of structured this team. So it would have been nice to have him. Um, and I, I kind of I'm I'm always I'm always like a little bit torn on the Nets, like throwing out like major dollar figures on guys who I mean, uh, Porter is proving that he's worth it, but at the time maybe a little bit generous given how good. He'd been in the past, and the Nets had done that with Alan Crabb, who obviously they ended up getting this year, and then they did the same thing, throwing uh, $50 million at uh, Tyler Johnson. And it, it's almost like it, I, like I like it kind of from a competitive, competitiveness standpoint because you're making all these teams you're competing against for assets and other free agents. You're like, all right, you want to keep your guy? We're going to make you spend an absolute premium to do it. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe – it's hurt relations with those teams or if, if everyone just kind of sees it as gamesmanship and it, it doesn't really hurt any feelings. Like obviously they were still able to pull off a trade with Portland to get crap back. But uh, in, in general, I kind of like the Nets doing that and kind of kneeling other teams and saying, we're, we're going to make it as hard on you as possible to keep your young talent. Yeah, no, look, I, uh, I don't know if you play fantasy football, but whenever I'm in sort of a, uh, an auction draft in fantasy football or fantasy baseball, like there'll be times where, like, I already got my my slugging first baseman or something, and there, you know, I know that like there's a, you know, the best player left is a guy who should go for a lot of money, and he's another first baseman who I don't want. I will absolutely, if it's my turn, I'll throw him out there. I'll I'll, I'll drive up the bid, get out in time, <laughs> do everything I can yeah. to get other people to spend their money because I want to go get somebody else. I don't want them to have the money when it when it c- comes time for that you know, shortstop I need or whatever. So I know it's, sure. a, I know that's a, probably a, a silly analogy, but yeah. Why no, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just being a little bit of a competitive dick. And I, I, think, I think you have to do that a little bit. And then yeah. the Nets have, Nets have excelled at it in the last few years. I will say this. I think that the Nets, even though Otto Porter has done well, and I, he's a guy that I've 
covered since Georgetown and, and of likes. I don't think he would have been a great fit for the Nets in that he's not people here a lot of people here who still think he's overpaid and you can I understand the 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 inclination to think that but I think he would have been definitely more in the view of being overpaid with the Nets cuz he's not a quote unquote franchise player. He's not a guy that you're going to here's the ball you lead the way. He's more of a really good uh complimentary piece who does a lot of the subtle work that if you're just watching looking for highlights you're never going to see necessarily. So I don't know if what how that would have gone over if he had been come to Brooklyn and been sort of painted as oh they just made this big signing. I don't know if that would have worked. So I think it probably worked out best for all that he didn't go to Brooklyn. But uh, yeah, so I would have been curious to see how that would have worked out. But uh, you know, kind of glad it, it didn't happen. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. I don't know. I think Nets fans were just so starved for good basketball that they, they would have taken anything and just kind of ignored the money. And that, that's why people are uh, still uh, cheering for Alan Crap here, even though, even though he's been playing better recently. He's, uh, on the whole, hasn't quite lived up to that uh, contract quite yet. Uh, ben, I wanted to throw something uh, back at you. It's like, what, what is it, year five, year six now of the John Wall uh, Bradley Beal uh, backcourt? I know, I know we haven't gotten to see a ton of them together just because Wall's been injured the last uh, two weeks, but uh, what, what do you think of that dynamic so far this year? And, and to me, at least, it seems like Beal is really taking a step forward while Wall, I, I know he traditionally gets off to slow starts, but hasn't really built on, on a season that made me think of him as like a top 15 guy in the entire NBA. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you know, you couldn't build, you couldn't draw up a better backcourt dynamic. I mean, you've got the point guard who's just a blur with the ball, who's looking to find teammates, uh, and he can get to the rim, and you've got a shooting guard who's got, you know, one of the prettiest jump shots in the game, it's just a who, who doesn't demand the ball. Uh, he doesn't have to have the ball in his hand all at all times. It's just a great fit on paper, and uh, I think we're finally starting to see that aspect of it really work. In part because Beal has taken his game to another level. Like you said, the last year and change, he's developed so much more of his game. He he could always shoot, but he's been more aggressive. His dribble drive game is is way improved. Now he's like not just able to get to the rim, but finish. Uh, you know he, he he's also very patient. He's not like oh, he's not overly forcing things the way you see some guys do for sure. Um, and, and so we, he he's he's shown the ability to lead without Wall. He scored fifty one the other day at Portland. He's also shown the ability to you know wait for his turn when Wall is out there. Um, but you mentioned Wall. And you're right, this has not been, like, when he's played, look, this, some of the numbers are, are still pretty good. But, yeah, it hasn't been spectacular. And I would say that when I talked before about the ups and downs of the Wizards, a lot of them can be traced to, not solely, but in some level, to John Wall's demeanor, approach, attitude, especially defensively in that given game. He When, when he's not completely engaged, the team tends not to be. And I think that's part of the reason. Now, that said, they've been up and down these last eight games, and he's not even playing. So I can't put it – I'm not putting it all on him. Like I said, it's been a it's, – it isn't just that. But, uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because this is really the first time in Bradley Beal's career that he's been able to sort of be the guy without any other – without John Wall or one of these sort of Paul Pierce, uh, Nene-type guys around – to you know, to, to sort of take more of the control of the team, it's his team, and it's interesting to watch him take on that role. And now it'll be interesting to see how he and Wall 
get together whenever Wall comes back, if it's Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever, um, how they get together and, and, you know, does the dynamic change much at all? Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it's for the best. But it's always interesting when you see guys start to branch out and how does that play with the other guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, no, that, that dynamic has always fascinated me. And I, because I, I really do like just love watching those two play. I'm, I'm actually going to, it's going to be the second time this season. I, I go and see the Nets in person tomorrow. So um, I'm, I'm really ecstatic to see that dynamic, assuming a wall does end up playing. And, and I don't know, he was the guy who I just had such high expectations for coming into the season. I, I saw him as kind of um, someone who could even go up to another level and maybe be a legit MVP candidate now that seems kind of ridiculous just because of like just how much front-loaded star power there is in the league. But uh, yeah, I've been a little bit disappointed with him and hopefully uh, without injuries, uh, once he gets healthy, he can get it together. And I know he's someone who tends to get stronger as the season goes on. So um, I still hope that that could happen. Uh, how about that uh, Wizards bench group uh, seemingly playing uh, better of late uh uh, Thomas uh, Sadoransky, a guy I liked a ton uh, when he was coming over from Europe. He, he's been playing a lot better, uh, at least in like the quick box score looks I've seen. Uh, what, what are you seeing from him, and what are you seeing from the Wizards bench as a whole recently? Well, so when Wall goes down, they moved uh, Tim Frazier into the starting role. The Wizards acquired Frazier in the offseason to sort of the, the Wizards' backup point guard situation is akin to the drummer and spinal tap, if you're familiar with that. It's just every year, it's just a different guy. It's a different situation and doesn't rarely seems to work out. And Frazier's been solid. He's sort of a, you know, he can get the job done. But, and, and he's been okay with the starters. The problem when he was with the backups, though, is they just don't have a very dynamic reserve unit. They have a lot of guys who are okay, but they need sort of help getting their own shot, uh, you know, things like that. And, and Frazier wasn't really doing that because he's got his own limitations. He can't shoot well, and he's you know, a pretty small guy. So when he got moved into the starting lineup, it gave Sadoransky some more consistent minutes at the backup point guard spot. And we're talking about a 6'7", athletic guy who's got really good vision passing, and he's super aggressive getting to the basket. And now, all of a sudden, the bench unit is just looking like, like, like one that's actually pretty good. I mean, the, the bench unit's been far more consistent without Wall than the starters have been. Other than that 47-point loss they had the other day at Utah when everybody was a disaster, the bench has been pretty good this whole this whole stretch. And part of it is with Sadoransky, he's made Mike Scott uh, better. Mike Scott's been just killing it from the field lately, shooting. Jan Mahimi, who's been a huge mess for most of the time he's been at the Wizards, these last seven or eight games has been, you know, pretty Solid, giving him rebounding and defense, things like that. He did apparently uh, skip practice today with something with, with some kind of a knee issue, so that's something to watch. But, uh, yeah, Sadoransky has been a huge deal. And the real question, what's really concerning with Wizards Nation, is will Scott Brooks go back to having Frazier be the primary backup point guard for Wall and Sadoransky going back to the bench? If that happens, uh, Wizards fans will not be happy, and there may be at least – one person who hosts a uh, Wizards podcast who won't be either. <laughs> oh no, yeah, that's an absolute uh, worst case scenario. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I, I still, I still kind of have hopes for that uh, for Washington putting it all together, and it seems like it kind of hinges on that bench. You know, because when push comes to shove, uh, we we have such a long track record of that starting five being really, really effective. So that would that would be uh, kind of cool. Uh, anyways, Ben, that, that's pretty much uh, all I had for you on uh, my end of things. Uh, any 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 concluding thoughts? 
Well, no, I'm excited to, you know, like it's. By the way, this is a. These two teams are going to play twice in like a, at least for the Wizards, like a seven game stretch or six game stretch with both games in Brooklyn. You guys are sandwiching a four game homestand, so we'll, you know, these teams will get get back together uh, before the end of the year. Uh, you know, it'll be exciting to see Okafor, who if he plays real minutes, Okafor's had good success against the Wizards in the past. So curious just to see him finally shake off that rust and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like the Nets are, you know, like the way you described it, in my opinion, they're a scrappy team that if you're not ready to go, you're going to get beat because they probably will be. Um, yeah. And the Wizards, it's been just so up and down. They've looked really good, in, you know, just they looked really good against Portland the other day and, and had a pretty good win on the road. And then they just couldn't finish off a Clippers team that's missing a bunch of dudes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, who knows w- w- which team will get. But, uh, you know, the Wizards, if they win this, they, cl- they close, out, close out the road over the winning record. So you'd like to think that that's got, you know, there's some motivation there, but uh, we will see. It should be, either way, it should be exciting. And I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to uh, chat me up here, uh, Gavin, and, uh, you know, give us your take on all things Brooklyn Nets. No problem, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll do it again at some point this season. Absolutely. All right, man. Cool. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. You'd shout out to Ben Standig right back at him for taking the time to talk to us on Locked on Nets and preview tomorrow's game. It promises to be a good one. I will be there in person. Uh, if you're going to be too, let me know on Twitter at Locked on Nets or at Gavin Shaw. Shoot me a tweet. Maybe we can uh, meet up and talk some Nets basketball. You don't want to do that, and that's understandable. Uh, we will be back to our regular programming tomorrow when uh, Josh rejoins the show. Until then, uh, for Ben, I'm Gavin Shaw. We will be back tomorrow. Peace out. Peace out.